All right, well, let's uh, start with a game. This game is called Guess the Bad Guy. This is going to be a fun game. All right, there are prizes. I have them right here in this bag. So I'm going to call out the name of a famous story or movie, and you have to yell out the bad guy. So, Zach, I'm going to ask you to, to help me. Uh, would you uh, throw out the uh, candy to the winners of, of this game? All right. Now, if, if you get one right, then on the next one, if you know the answer, just kind of stay quiet. We want to, I want to spread the wealth. We're into socialism here. All right. So, uh, guess the bad guy. The first one is Lord of the Rings. Who is the bad guy in Lord of the Rings? I heard it over here. Somewhere over here. Sauron. Sauron. There he is. Okay. He's beautiful. Just one great big eye. Okay. All right. And now, just so you know, I only have like just enough. So you can't, you can't hand out like four per. Okay. So we're going to have to go with the first. We could do that. That would be true socialism, wouldn't it? But then that would that would really make us all disappointed. All right, next one, Star Wars. Who's the bad guy? Darth Vader. I heard it there. If you'd yelled Emperor, I probably should give you on that. But yes, Darth Vader. Good job. Okay, here's a slightly tricky one. Superman. Yes, I heard it over here. Lex Luthor. Good job. Lex Luthor. There he is in his cartoon favor. All right. Uh, next one, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. White witch. I heard it somewhere over here. Female voice. Okay, hey, hey, extra bonus. I think I have extra candy for this. Bonus. Can anyone tell me her first name? Jadis. Who said it? Wow. That's impressive. It's either really impressive or a lot of nerddom. Uh, I, I would lean on the nerd side, so... Uh, Good job. All right. Avengers Infinity War. All right. That's a recent one, right? Right over here. I think Caden got it. All right. Thanos. Okay. Harry Potter. There you go. Voldemort. Right, right back there. Okay. This one's hard. Wartburg College. I knew it. I knew the Wartburg grads would get it. Luther College. All right. Good job, everyone. Way to play. Thank you, Zach, for your help. Now, if I were to tack one more on there, if I were to ask you to guess the bad guy for the end times, what would you say? Satan. Okay. Antichrist. That's often what we think of when we think of, oh, the end times, you know, Jesus coming back and everything. There's this famous Antichrist. People have spent a lot of time and energy trying to figure out who this Antichrist is. I'm not kidding. I have heard all of these, all right? People who are claiming the Pope is the Antichrist. Uh, Bill Gates, I mean, clearly, that's, that's uh, you know, a true picture right there. Uh, the, the, the Republicans were saying that it was Obama, and the Democrats are saying it's Trump. And then this week, I heard a brand new one. I'd never heard this one before. I went on YouTube, just was Googling to see what some crazy people were saying. And uh, I found one Bible prophecy website, uh, YouTube channel, and I put it in quotes because it's really more of a conspiracy site. And they said that without a doubt, the Antichrist is Prince William. All right? So... So congratulations to Prince William on, on making the, the title. Personally, I think all of that's ridiculous. I don't think it's any of those people. Now, may, maybe you do. May, maybe you think it is one or, or you, know, you know, well, I, probably just one of those people. Maybe you think it's actually someone else, right? Today, I just need you to know we are going to talk about the Antichrist. Why? Because the book of First John forces us to. 
because we've chosen to study this book and just start in chapter one and work through chapter five, was we come here in chapter two, he talks about the Antichrist. So we have no choice. Either that or we just completely skip it. But I'm not comfortable doing that because I think that God has something here for us today. And so we've got to talk about this kind of awkward, weird subject. But at the same time, while we're going to talk about it, we are not going to waste our time trying to identify what one person it actually is. Because the Antichrist might not even be here yet. The Antichrist could be here, and we have no clue who it is. And it's not worth us spending the time. Because John doesn't even spend the time trying to identify who that one Antichrist is. Because to John, what he's going to help us see is it's more important for us to recognize what the Antichrist values, what the Antichrist stands for, what the Antichrist is aiming to do. And John actually believes it's not really just about one bad guy, that really there are many Antichrists. And today, we're going to see that. Now, when we talk about the Antichrist, some of us, we can start to get a little scared. Like, we get a little chill. Now, some people, they like to have the chill down their spine. I mean, we're in the month of October. I mean, it's Halloween, and right now the theaters, you know, Redbox, Family Video, they are pushing all sorts of movies, you know. And, and I'll admit, I kind of like it sometimes. I finally have Netflix, and I caught up on Stranger Things season one and two, and I'm actually excited for number three. I enjoyed it. As a kid... I, I would read Revelation, partly because it was fascinating and confusing, bewildering, but also it was my cheap way to get some thrills because my mom and dad wouldn't let me watch horror films. Not that I wanted to, but like if, if I was going to ha- get that little scare, Twilight Zone type of stuff, I'd go to the book of Revelation because how could my parents keep me from reading the Bible? You know, and, and so I'd, I'd do it to get scared. I guarantee you were not going to walk out of here scared today. In fact, I know you're going to walk out of here encouraged. You're, you're going to walk out of here with a very simple game plan of what you need to do. And you're going to walk out here in confidence, not because of anything you're going to do today, but just walking out in confidence because of what God has already done. And so as we get ready to jump into first John, let me pray. God, um, I've already prayed to start this message, but now as we uh, open up the Bible, I pray that you would speak to us loud and clear. May you say what you need to say and help us to hear what we need to hear. And so speak to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Open up to First John. Uh, if you've been with us, hopefully your bookmark is already there. If you're a first-time guest and you don't have a Bible, don't worry. I've got the scripture up on the screen. But I'd encourage you, after our worship gathering today, just swing back by our Give and Grow table. We've got two different translations back there, and we'd love to just give you a Bible, that you'd make it your everyday Bible. Um, if you have a smartphone and you've got a Bible on it, totally feel free to, uh, to pull that out. You're going to see some of our church family doing that right now. They're not heading to Facebook or Twitter. At least I hope they're not. Um, I don't think they're bored already. Uh, give me another five, 10 minutes. Um, they're pulling out their Bible. So if you've got a smartphone with a Bible on it, totally feel free to, to pull that out. And that, that's totally fine here. And if you've got a smartphone and you don't have a Bible on it, download one. That way, wherever you go with your phone, you've always got a Bible uh, available to you. Today, uh, we uh, took a week off last week with my friend Bob coming to speak for our, uh, the installation of our elders. So we're back now we're in First John. We're up to chapter 2. Last time we ended in verse 17. So let's pick it up in 18. So First John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One 
and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. And who is the liar but he who denies that, Christ is, that Jesus is the Christ? That is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. And no one who denies the Son has the Father. But whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Back in the uh, mid-90s into the early 2000s, there were a series of books put out all about the end times. They were called the Left Behind series. And uh, I thought that there were like 12 books in this series, and I just wanted to double-check a few things about it as I was working this week on, the, on this message. And uh, I discovered that four more had been written from what I thought was the end of the series. One more after, and then like three prequels. So there's 16 books in this series. These guys have made a ton of money off these. These things were New York bestsellers. I mean, they were super, super popular, especially among evangelical Christians. I, they just sold millions of these things. The interesting thing is that it's supposed to be about the book of Revelation. And, and it's basically, they tried to take the book of Revelation and set a, make it a fictional story and set it into modern day times. And, and, and one of their main characters is a guy by the name of Nikolai Carpathia or Carpathia. Pathia, however you want to pronounce it. And Nikolai was this politician, I think, from like Rome or Romania. And he's from Europe, and, and he kind of rises up, and, and, and as the world is in chaos because of the, the rapture, all these Christians have disappeared. He ends up becoming secretary general of the UN, ends up changing the UN into this other organization, and then it ends up revealed he is the Antichrist. But as much as it's supposed to be about the book of Revelation, the interesting thing is the Antichrist, the word Antichrist, is not mentioned at all in the book of Revelation. The only place the word Antichrist is used in the Bible is right here in 1 John. It's used in chapter 2, which we, part of which we just read, and again in chapter 4, which we're going to read. And then John mentions the Antichrist one time in 2 John. That's the only place in the entire Bible the word Antichrist is used. Now, Today, we're going to dip into 2 Thessalonians, and we're going to see Paul talk about this man of lawlessness. Most scholars believe that is referring to the Antichrist. If you do go into Revelation, especially like Revelation 13, you can read about the first beast and then the second beast. And some people argue that one or maybe both of those is the Antichrist or a type of Antichrist. But the actual word, it's only right here. And so it's important. If we're going to understand who or what this Antichrist is, John's probably one of our best sources. So let's see what John has to say to us about the Antichrist. And I, I see six things here in these uh, few verses we just read. The, the first is that the Antichrist is coming, that the Antichrist is coming. Notice verse 18. He says, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming somehow here in the early stages of Christianity, right? This is only, you know, 20, 30, 40 years after Jesus has ascended to heaven after his resurrection. And this young church already believes that they're now in the end time, that they're in the last hour. And part of that last hour is the coming of some sort of antichrist. And he says, so the, because you've heard that the antichrist is going to come, it means we're in the last hour. But I want you to notice what he says next. It's that Antichrist has already come. Notice the ne very next phrase. He says, so now many Antichrists have come. He's talking in the present tense. Like the Antichrist, yeah, yeah, the Antichrist will come, but yet the Antichrist is already here. He's already come. And, and notice, did you notice what he says right before have come? He says, so many Antichrists have come. For John, this isn't just about finding that one bad guy of the story. It, it, it's about many have come. And notice where they come from. 
They can come from right inside the church. Verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. <laughs> For that they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. Now, he is not talking about missionaries. He's not talking about this idea of sending people out. That's very beautiful for the church. I hope Riverwood becomes that kind of church where we live out the book of Acts, where we are helping to send people. That's part of our, our idea of gather, grow, give, go. We want to help send you into your neighborhoods, into your workplaces, into your you know family reunions, into your friend groups, into service clubs. But also, we want to help send you across Iowa and to the ends of the earth. That's not what he's talking about here. As he's talking about these people coming out from us, he's saying that these are people that used to be part of the church. And that, that tells me that John might actually know some of these people by name. They used to be part of us, but they didn't remain with us. They didn't continue to teach what we've been teaching. They tried to, in a sense, move on to greater and better things. And in the process, they basically have started teaching against Christ, thus making them anti-Christs. Warren Wearsby uh, has written a lot of books, and uh, he's, he had this quote when it comes. Uh, some of his books are like commentaries, and, and so when it came to his commentary on First John, he wrote this. If you will investigate the history of the false cults and anti-Christian religious systems in today's world, you will find that in most cases, their founders started out in a local Christian church. They were with us, but not of us. So they went out from us, and started their own groups. And Wiersbe's right. If you went and started studying various cults that, that have kind of a Christian leanings to them, you'll discover that oftentimes their founder grew up within a local church. And maybe they came to a place where they disagreed and they, they started, you know, I guess, countering the gospel. And, and they end up going out and trying to draw people to them. That, so many antichrists do that. And, and so what that means is their teaching is going to sound good. It's going to sound right. And they're going to use some of the same words, but oftentimes they're using different definitions for those words. And that can bring confusion. And sometimes they're trying to tell us, like, well, there's more that you need to understand. And I think that's a lot of what John was combating against. And we're going to look at that a little bit today. They're trying to say there's more, and, and, and it kind of tantalizes us. You know, it's like, oh, there, there's more, and, and it draws us into it. And John is trying to point out, which we'll look at some more today, is that actually is pulling us away from Christ, not deeper in. So they can come from the church. Next thing I see in verse 20 and 21 is that they do actually do one positive thing. They actually help us to clarify truth. Look at verse 20 and 21. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. When I was in high school, one of my best friends, uh, his name is Jim. And unfortunately, Jim and I have kind of lost touch uh, a little bit. I would love to, to catch up with Jim. I mean, just great, great guy. Jim, though, was the son of a pastor who was part of a church where they believed doctrinally one thing that I believed very differently. And that was that you had to be baptized in order to be saved. Now, Jim knew his Bible in and out. In fact, my freshman year of college, when I had spring break, I actually traveled down to go hang out with Jim for a few days, and he was still in school. So I know I'm a weird kid. I like go visit a friend who's still in school, and I'm going to class with him. I'm on spring break, and I'm going to class. But I remember one day being in Jim's room, and he wrote a paper for one of his Bible classes. He was at a Christian school training to be a pastor himself. 
And I read the paper and it was defending this doctrine where you have to be baptized in order to be saved. And he got an A on it because he defended his position so robustly. And I remember in, uh, I think it was our senior year of, of college, we were taking this computer class and there were only three of us in there. It was a little bit like an independent study. And Jim and I would get into these debates on various things. And oftentimes it was this idea of baptism. And that, I felt bad for Chad. Chad just had to sit there and listen to us debate and fight as we're supposed to be programming. Uh, but we would go back and forth. And the thing was, Jim knew the Bible better than I did. And so it looked like he would win these arguments. And what I would do then is I'd go home and I'd be frustrated and confused. And so I would start pulling out my Bible. Now, I do not think Jim is a heretic. I do not think Jim is trying to join some cult. I, I, I would count Jim as my brother in Christ. But when it comes to this issue, it forced me because he was so strong on it. I had to go to the scriptures and it forced me to figure out, is Jim right? Is it, have I been incorrect? And so I'm the one who needs to change or does the Bible teach something else? And so it forced me to go to the scriptures. That's one positive thing about an antichrist is that as they teach, you start going, wait, is that right? And it forces you to have to think through what is true, what is correct, what do I need to know? And did you notice what John said to him? He says, you already know the truth. You, you already have the knowledge. So you don't have to chase after this new teaching that these antichrists are giving you. Go to what you already know. And we're going to come back to that here in just a, a little while. The sixth thing I want to point out about these antichrists is that they deny Jesus and focus on self. They deny Jesus and focus on self. Look at verse uh, 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Christ, that Jesus is the Christ? That is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. So one quick way John is saying you can recognize these Antichrists is whether or not they accept who Jesus truly is or they deny it. Paul talks about this back in 2 Thessalonians. So if you know where uh, 2 Thessalonians is, feel free to flip there. If, if not, I've got the scripture on the screen for you. But in 2 Thessalonians, Paul has already written one letter to the Thessalonians. And now a lot of scholars believe that he was in the city of Corinth. And word has come back that the Thessalonians are freaking out. That these Jesus followers fear that Jesus has already come back. And that they, to use the name of the book we talked about earlier, that they've been left behind. And so they're now a little bit panicked. And so he writes them a letter to try and calm them. And he basically says, guys, don't worry about it. Jesus has not returned. You're fine. You haven't been left behind. The way you'll know when Jesus comes back is the appearance of this man of lawlessness. So 2 Thessalonians 2, start in verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day, he's referring to the coming of Jesus, will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of destruction. Now he describes him, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. That is the spirit of Antichrist, denying Christ, being absolutely opposed to anything having to do with the gospel, and instead asserting self in the place. But think about it. I think there's many antichrists that try to oppose Jesus and put themselves in the place of God. I mean, is, is that not what an addiction is? A an addiction says you're not good enough. You can't have enough joy. You don't have everything without this. 
And so we find ourselves ingesting certain substances to get certain feelings or going and looking at certain images or, or watching certain things or, or, you know, doing certain things in order to try and feel good because somehow we believe the lie inwardly that we're not good enough without this, that I have to have this to give me some joy, to give me some comfort for me to feel okay. And yet the gospel says that you were a sinner separated from God, but Jesus, God, the son, God himself came down to earth, took on human flesh to die on the cross in your place. Your sin separated you from God. You were broken. You were imperfect, but Jesus went and paid the penalty for you so that you could be redeemed back to God, that God could begin to restore his image within you so that you are no longer broken and imperfect. You start to become like Jesus. It's all centered on Christ. And yet, an addiction says, but you're not good enough with just Christ. You need something else. You need something more. And it tries to take the place of God. Sometimes I think we let certain people take the place of God. It, it, it might be, you know, if you're single, you're thinking, I, I got to get a spouse. I got to get a spouse. And, and maybe you find a certain someone and your whole world just becomes enraptured with them. Or maybe it's, I, I need to become a parent. I, my life will be good and great and fulfilled if I just can have a kid. Or, or maybe it's, you know, we worship some celebrity, you know, a movie star, a, a famous sports athlete, you know, someone else, a, a musician, someone else who's like really, really big. And, and if we, we in a sense worship them and they in a sense take the place of our heart. They're, they're trying to be God. And when we allow those people to take that place, they become in a sense an anti-Christ because they're not drawing us into the gospel. They're trying to pull us away to them. Our culture is always pushing things at us that are anti-Christ, trying to replace. It, it just All you do is turn on the TV, read the magazines, listen to the radio constantly, whether they're trying to say that you'll be fulfilled through politics or you'll be fulfilled through you know, whatever they're pushing in the movies or, or on the, the magazine rack. They're, they're saying this is what you need. They are, in a sense, an anti-Christ, opposed to Christ, and trying to put God in that place. And did you hear that phrase that Paul used? He says that he, this man of lawlessness, he takes his seat in the temple of God. But Paul helps us see back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the true temple of God is you. It says you are a temple of God. And so what's happening is when you're allowing these other things to come into your life, you're letting them into that temple to take that seat. They start to become primary. And that's what Paul is warning us against as well as John. That's why John, back in chapter 2, as we saw two weeks ago, back in chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, he warns us, do not love the world. Because the world is opposed to God. And so therefore, in a sense, it's like an anti-Christ trying to pull you away and insert something else into that place of preeminence in your life. And so John wants to help us just understand a little bit more of who this anti-Christ is is and how he's trying to pull us away. So flip back to, to second John and he talks about this a little more over in chapter four. So go to first John chapter four. We're going to do verses one through six. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know, the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. 
Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is why Paul is saying, do not fall in love with the world. Because the world is opposed to God. In John's day, part of how the world was opposing God was by saying that Jesus had not come in the flesh. It, it was this philosophy, this, this belief called Gnosticism. It, it was an understanding that anything physical, anything in the material world was evil. And only things that were spiritual were good. Well, that started to pose a problem for some Christians. Because it, it sounded good. And yet that meant, well, wait, Jesus came down and took on human flesh. And that, that, that would make Jesus evil. And so they started to say things like, well, no, no, no. Jesus didn't actually take on human flesh. He, he, he actually was just here in spirit. And that was a problem to John. Because like John hung out with Jesus for like three years. He saw Jesus eat. He saw Jesus sleep. I mean, like he was there at the Last Supper when the disciples were like, ask him, ask him that question. And he leans against Jesus. He can't lean against a spirit. He, he knew Jesus was flesh and blood. He was physical. And he had to be physical in order to go to a cross to die in our place because his blood had to be shed. You can't crucify a spirit. You try to say Jesus didn't come physically, you've now changed the gospel. And therefore, it is an antichrist teaching. And so that's why he's saying, don't believe the lies of the world. Don't fall into these empty, deceitful ideas. It might sound good. It might seem everyone else is going that direction. Instead, you need to do something else. And that's what he tells us over in chapter 2. So head back to chapter 2. We, we finished at verse 23. So let's pick it up at 24. I know I have verse 23 up there. Skip it. Go to 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Go to verse 24 with me. Notice what he says. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If, if you're here today and you are a Jesus follower, let me ask you a question. What was it that you heard in the beginning that allowed you to begin your faith in Christ? Anyone? He died for you. Yes, you heard this news that Jesus died on a cross for you. The way that that is encapsulated into one phrase, he, I'm sorry, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. That's what matters. The gospel. What was it you heard in the beginning? The gospel. And so what, what do you do with it? According to him, you abide in it. Let it abide in you. That word abide could be translated remain or to stay, to continue with, to persist. That's what we are called to do. We keep going to the gospel. I've, I've said it before and, and, and I'll say it again. So often we think that you begin with the gospel and then you mature on to other things and you don't. 
You begin with the gospel and you mature through the gospel. The way to become like Christ, the way to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved is through this gospel. And it's the gospel that changes how we live, how we do marriage, how we do parenting, how we operate at work, how we interact with our friends, how we do church. It's all about Jesus and the gospel. And that's what John is warning them. Don't get caught up trying to go to something else. It's the gospel. I've used the Tim Keller quote so many times, but it rings so true. The gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian faith. It is the A to Z of the Christian faith. Paul is saying, if, I mean, sorry, John is saying, if you uh, try to move on to these other things away from the gospel, you're starting to follow antichrist teaching. Let, let me give you an example in our day and age. Some people would, uh, are, are drawn towards what some people would call legalism. It's this idea that uh, you, in order for you to be a- approved by God, for you to be okay, you've got to like maybe wear certain things or not wear certain things. Um, you need to eat certain foods or maybe not drink certain things. Uh, you need to, you know, not watch certain things or you need to, uh, you know, not play certain games. You know, they, they put together these very rigid rules. And if you abide by that, God's going to be good with you. You're, you're fine. Now, some of what they try to teach, I, I think is actually helpful. But they're getting it all flipped. Rather than doing those things because of the gospel, you now do those things in order to somehow prove to God you're worthy of being saved. And John is saying that is actually an antichrist teaching because now it becomes about what you do and it's now in a sense taken away from the gospel of what Jesus has already done for you. But if it really is to be about what Jesus has done for you through a cross, then it isn't about, well, hey God, I went to church so many times, I read my Bible so many times, I haven't drunk those certain things, I stayed away from R-rated movies, I did all these things. Instead, it should be all about Jesus. We're drawn into him and we abide in the gospel. We stay with that. We persist in it. But how do you do that? Well, without trying to get you into legalism and thinking about so much of doing, think about what Bob taught us last week, that being precedes doing. It's first about being in Christ. So first, you just got to come to that realization that if you are a Jesus follower, if you understand this gospel that Jesus died on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins, and you've said yes to following him, then who you are is fundamentally changed. And so it means that you are complete in Christ. And so you don't have to give into that addiction. You don't have to act like everyone else at work. You don't have to give into those things. You don't have to watch all the same things that everyone else, because you simply are a son or daughter of the most high God. But then, if it is about abiding in this gospel, because this is now who we are, we want to continue to study this gospel. And so that's why we encourage you to get into the scripture. Not to read this in order to impress God, but to read this because you're already impressed by God. You're so overwhelmed by this gospel, you want to know it more. You want to abide in it, remain in it. It's why on Sundays, we sing about the gospel. We sing about Jesus going to the cross. It's why we have communion almost every single week to remind us of what Jesus did for us. This is to help us abide, to remain. You, you can pray. You just talk to God throughout your day. If you're like me and your, your mind just gets caught up in everything you're doing and everything going on around you, maybe you set a watch or, or do something. Not to legalistically say, God, I've got to make sure I pray six times a day. But instead, just keep this conversation going with God. And continuing to develop this, to abide in him. We need to continue to speak the gospel. That's why we have these growth groups. Every week, 
People gather in homes just to open up the scriptures and to talk about this a little bit more. And as we do so, we're speaking the gospel, we're reminding each other, and it's helping us to just abide, to just remain. But it isn't about what you do. It's about what Jesus has already done and us continuing to go to that. Because then did you hear what John said? That if you abide in him, I'm sorry, that if you abide in this gospel, if you let it abide in you, you then will abide in the Father and in the Son. And that's why you don't have to be scared. That's why you don't have to worry about some sort of, you know, antichrist. Because as long as you are valuing the gospel, you're golden. You've probably heard this illustration before, but it's, it's claimed that when they try to teach people how to recognize counterfeit money, they don't waste a bunch of time showing them a bunch of counterfeits. They just keep showing them the real thing because the more they understand the real thing, the more easily they'll recognize the fake. I I think it's the same for us. That the more we continue to peer into this gospel, understand who Jesus is, what Jesus did, we'll start noticing the fake, the the heresy, the antichrist type teaching, and we'll be able to stay away from it. And do we just continue to go with what we've already been given? Because did you hear what John said? He wasn't trying to write them anything new. He's just trying to remind them of what they already knew. And if you're a Jesus follower, you already know the gospel. You have everything you need. You just continue to mature through it. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower, maybe you came because, you know, you just something's going on spiritually. You've got questions. Maybe you were invited here today. I, I, first, I just want you to know, hey, we are so glad you came. Really, we, we actually started Riverwood Church for people just like you. Some of the people sitting in this room, they understand exactly where you are, where, you, where you've been, because that, that's where they used to be. And what we want to do is just let you know that God loves you. Jesus died on a cross so that your sins could be forgiven. And God will no longer hold those sins against you. Your sins are what separate you from God. They, they're what make you spiritually disconnected. But God has done everything for you to repair the breach so that you no longer will be disconnected, but you can connect with your creator. He's done it all. And I think John and Paul and my church family, we would just extend an invitation to just put Jesus first, to give your life to him, to confess your sin, to hear this gospel, and let this be the beginning of a relationship with God. And I'm going to let you know that if today you make that decision, all of heaven celebrates, we will celebrate with you, and you will now have everything you need to continue to help you move through life. It doesn't mean life suddenly gets easy. But it does mean you now have God to walk through with you. So, would you join me in prayer? So, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for what you've taught us through John. How he reminds us that it is about the gospel. It's, it's all about you, Jesus. And so, God, I just pray right now that you'd help each and every one of us to put Jesus first. That we would make it all about Christ. God, I just ask for your forgiveness. For the days that I, I have put myself on that throne in my, the temple of my heart, um, for the th- times I've let my desires be what, what comes first, um, just my, my own selfish ways. God, I want you to be first. Jesus, you, you've paid for my sin. This is the most miraculous story in the entire world. So God, help me to not make it about me. Help me to make it about you. I pray that for my church family. I pray you'd help each of us to let Jesus be on the throne of the temple of our heart. We would put him first. God, I pray for anyone that's here today that does not know you. 
But today they're sensing you calling them to follow you. They're wanting to put you first. So God, would you just hear their prayer? Hear them as they, they confess their sin, as they admit their need for you and, and their, their willingness to wanting, wanting to let you be that first place in their life. God, I want this gospel to pervade everything about us. Lord, help us not to be drawn into antichrist teaching. Help us to draw to what really matters, what, what is valuable. And that is you. That is, is Christ on the cross and his resurrection. May that be what we are about. Jesus, you are enough. You are everything we truly need. And we trust that you can supply every other need that we have. And so may you help each of us to come to you, that we'd bow in our hearts before your throne and say, you are our king. You are everything we need. And we put you first. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.